Hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Courtney. And this is Caffeinated Crimes. You know, the other day I was trying to think of, of a, I'm like, how do other podcasts like start talking? Like no one else seems to struggle in the way that I, we struggle. I don't know. It, yeah, good start. Good start. This one's a winner. They're full-time jobs and it's just our part-time jobs. It's a lot of hours. (laughs) Right. This is a, a very extensive um hobby <laughs> hobby yes yes a lot of time put into a hobby I was thinking about that last night I'm like man between the time of like researching the episodes recording the episodes editing like remembering to post on social media all of our patreon stuff I'm like whoa this is uh it's a it's, lot it is a lot is it's it? why they hire people to yes do it. <laughs> at least like the editing parts and stuff um, yeah but you know that's expensive so yeah you probably not gonna do that um I do also f- now that I'm thinking about how do other podcasts are there, you know, mm-hmm. I was thinking of morbid and their morbid in the morning song that gets stuck in my head <laughs> that Ash sings. I don't know if you've heard it, but yep, she's saying yep. it and it gets out of my head. And then I thought also about like drama Queens and they're like, Oh, we're recording at morning or recording in the night. So I guess everyone just starts opening being like, this is the time of day, even though you were <laughs> listening at various hours. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. I think I think it was morbid the other day that they were like, oh, as you're like listening in your car. And then it was like two minutes later. And I think Ash said that. And then Elena was like, well, maybe you're not in your car. Maybe you're like, in, you know, doing chores or like feeding or walking the dog or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they're like, I bet most people listen in their cars. And I'm like, I don't go anywhere anymore. So I don't listen mm-hmm. to podcasts in my car. So yeah, the only time, I mean, if I'm driving alone, mm-hmm. I will. Like if I'm with Kevin, like I'm not going to make him listen to my podcast. Yeah. But if I'm driving alone, I do. But the amount of times I'm driving far enough to listen to like a whole episode is basically non-existent. Except mm-hmm. like recently when I'm like this week in work, I'm covering and I have to drive like an hour to the yeah. place I'm going. So then I'm like, okay, I have time to like listen. <laughs> but besides that, I'm usually going like 10 minutes down the road, 15 yeah. minutes down the road. And I'm just continuing whatever is still playing. <laughs> yeah. I like, I'll listen to a podcast. Like when I need to like drive into my office, which is like 30 minutes away, but I also take my child with me. So it really depends on how long she'll let me listen to a podcast because mm-hmm. usually about 20 minutes in, we have to turn on her favorite song and listen to it on repeat until we get out of the car. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. It's a good time. <laughs> so yeah, that's the thing. It's like, if you're alone, maybe and, like if mm-hmm. you had a commute, Honestly, though, when I commuted, I didn't listen to podcasts. Like I would listen oh. to music and then I would listen to podcasts like when I got to work. Interesting. I always listen to podcasts on my commute, especially when I did um, like home visiting. And so I would like drive like to all these you places. During a the day. I had like a 15 minute drive. Yeah. There, 15 minute back. <laughs> like that was it. True. true. Um. <laughs> yeah. But I definitely loved my my podcast time on those long drives and was alone and it was nice. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking back on days where I was alone in the car. <laughs> that was the thing too. They asked me to cover, um, you know, in a courthouse. And so like I went for training and I was like, it's kind of nice to get out of the house. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's pretty nice. Like I don't mind this that much. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, wonder if it's going to be like moving to like a permanent thing. I'm not sure. That's <laughs> just my speculation, but we'll see. Interesting. The guy who does it now drives two hours Wow. to get there one way I'm like oof mm. I wouldn't do that no that's I would not do that that's that's a bit much okay now um, that we've rambled yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so we heard about this case this week um, on Crime Junkie, and I've not heard of this any other places. We did Google it and find a CNN article, but I haven't really heard it like in like widespread media or anything. Um, but a few months ago, there was a little boy found in a suitcase in Indiana. Um, he was a black boy. They believe he's around five and eight years old. Um, they did say that his cause of death was from elect- electrolyte imbalance. Um from like a stomach bug. So probably just like severe dehydration. Um, So Courtney and I are wondering if it is a case of this child just got sick and died and the family was scared and they thought that, Mm -hmm. you know, they were going to be in trouble and um, you know, they didn't want obviously the police looking into, you know, their, their lives or whatever. Um, Hopefully it's something as innocent as that, but also just super sad that this boy was in a suitcase and they can't ID him. They don't have any missing children on file or anything like that. Um, Like I said, Mm -hmm. he was a black boy around five to eight years old found in Indiana. Um, It was in a suitcase with like a Las Vegas print um, with like the sign um, printed on the suitcase. Um, So if you do have any information about that, they do have a tip line set up at 1-888-437-6432. So definitely reach out if you guys have any information about that and you can help police identify this little boy. Yeah. It's just so sad. And I do hope it's something like that and not, you know, something more tragic. It's tragic all around. Um, but yeah, if you do know anything, um, and it's a very distinct suitcase, Mm -hmm. please just give them a call. Um, so this update is kind of more lighthearted than our, (laughs) Last update. Um, depends on which side of the coin you're on on this one, <laughs> I guess. So if you're listening to us, you probably think it's lighthearted. <laughs> yes. So 31 members of a white nationalist group were arrested in Idaho on June 11th. So basically they were part of this group called the Patriot Front and they traveled from like other states, like including Texas, Utah, Colorado, South Dakota, Illinois, Arkansas, Wyoming, Washington, Oregon, and Virginia. And I think they said only like one guy was like actually from Idaho. So I don't really know why they chose this like specific event, but I'm also like, imagine using your vacation time for this. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) So they were all charged with conspiracy to riot. um, And police did believe they were headed towards a pride event that day. Um, A citizen had actually seen them. They were all kind of wearing like the same outfit. Some of them had like patches, like these white nationalist patches. Mm -hmm. Citizen saw it and was like, bad vibe, bad vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, Something not right here. (laughs) And the police like actually were like, okay, yeah, like we're going to go get them. And they had enough to charge them because they did have shields and um, riot gear. Mm -hmm. Um, So thankfully the police did stop them before they got to the event and were like, nope. And like, what I saw them saying is like, Hey, we're, we're a small town and we'll make room for these 31 people in this jail. <laughs> like, this is not okay. So, so funny. I'm very glad they're like, really not just like letting them off. They're like, no, you're not going to do this. You're not going to come to our state. And like, especially like protesting these events is one thing, but if you're in like full riot gear, yeah, you had bad intentions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Honestly, I hate when people like protest the shit anyway, because nobody cares. What what are you protesting? (laughs) You are you are protesting the fact that people love other people. Like, how does that make any sense? How is that something worth protesting? I don't get it. It makes no sense. But like, 
if you're just standing there in your normal everyday clothes with a sign, whatever, if that makes you feel better, like, okay, like that is your right to like protest or whatever, but coming up in like full right gear with your white nationalist group, you are going to cause Mm -hmm. hate damage especially in today's world, who knows what their full intentions were Yeah, with like shields. Like that is scary. So I'm glad they were stopped. They're probably all in jail right now. Um, and they'll have a meeting someday soon, but, or a hearing, I guess I should say. A meeting. <laughs> I mean, yes, they will. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, also in true crime news this week, um, there was a pretty big case. So back in the 80s, Tina Gale Lynn Klaus and Harold Dean Klaus Jr. were found dead and their baby, Holly, was reported missing. Um, so this was in 1981. Nothing has ever been seen or heard from her since then. Um, and she was found alive and well this week. So she mm-hmm. has been living um, with another family that apparently is not a suspect in her parents' death, um, but it's kind of unclear on how she ended up with them. It seems like she was like dropped off at a church by someone else that, you know, who knows if that person had something to do with her death, with, with her parents' death, or if they found her and they were trying to do the right thing. Kind of unclear. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, amazing that she is alive and well after all this time. And she has reconnected um, with her biological family and her grandparents and stuff. Um, So that is super sweet and good for them. And I don't know, hopefully this will lead to some justice for her parents' killers as well. Because I could be wrong, but they only just identified the parents a few months ago, right? I don't know. Honestly, I didn't didn't see that. Hold on. Pause. Okay. Yeah. So basically, they were identified in January after 40 years of being unidentified. Oh, wow. Um, and they were murdered in like Houston. And so now mm-hmm. there were also, I guess, more DNA or whatever. Mm-hmm. They were able to find. Her. I gotcha. Wow. That is a crazy, we need to, this needs to be a whole episode. We need to dive deeper into yes. this one. <laughs> <laughs> and we would also like to give a shout out to our newest patron. She's a returning patron and one of our OG listeners. She's been here from the mm-hmm. start. Um, and that is Catherine. So thank you, Catherine, for coming back. Um, there's a few more things that we've done since you since you've been here. So hopefully you like it. Give us your feedback. Let us know yes. what works and what doesn't. Welcome so. back. Yes, we love you, and we are so happy that you're here. We're ha- happy that all of you are here, whether you're part of the Patreon family or just our regular podcast family. We're happy all of you are here, but thank you so much, Catherine, and welcome back. Yeah, thank you all for listening. We made a whole three cents on an ad this week, so. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So we'll go ahead and get into today's case. This was actually a recommendation from our friend, Evelyn, um, a very long time ago. I'm pretty sure I was still in my old apartment when I bought the book (laughs) to do this case and now just got around to it. So sorry for the delay. (laughs) Sorry for the delay. Um, but that book was secret of a Marine's wife by Shanna Hogan. Um, I do recommend reading it. It was very in-depth, very, it goes obviously more than we go into because you don't want to listen to an audiobook. Um, <laughs> and like she interviewed like a lot of the family, a lot of the people, like it was very well done. Mm-hmm. And then also an oxygen.com and a Desert Sun article as well. So on June 28, 2014, Erin Corwin left her apartment at the Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center in 29 Palms, California. 
She told her husband, Marine Corporal John Corwin, that she was headed to Joshua Tree National Park to scout scene spots for an upcoming visit with her mother, but she did never return, um, and she was three weeks pregnant. So Aaron was born on July 15th, 1994 in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, and when Aaron was two weeks old, her mother, Deborah, did make the decision to give her up for adoption. Um, Deborah had three previous sons who had all been adopted or raised by their fathers or paternal grandparents, and so she still really, she was like, I can't, I can't really take care of Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, so she did chose to put her in foster care, and then Aaron was put into the home of Bill and Laura Hevelin. So Bill and Laura had grown up in Indiana and met at a Catholic youth retreat, which uh, when they were in high school and Bill and Laura got married and had two children, Christy and Keith. So they really felt the calling, like when Christy and Keith were in elementary school in about 1985, that they wanted to start fostering children. They're like, really just want to, you know, help some kids who are in bad mm-hmm. situations. Um, and so the next year however they did relocate to Oak Ridge Tennessee um, because he was able to transfer post office stations so they continued like when they moved Um, Mm -hmm. so they were able to foster through Tennessee Baptist Children's Home and they mainly fostered newborn babies um, and each baby usually stayed for about four weeks and then in 1989 The couple began the process of adopting Alex and his brother, John. And then a few years later, they adopted a 15-year-old named Taylor. And in 1994, and that's when the Hevelins began fostering Aaron. So now, like, they're fostering, but they're also kind of starting to adopt as well. Like, I think that happens Mm -hmm. a lot. Like, you just get such an attachment to, you know. Yep. Like, these are all my children now. (laughs) Yeah. So Laura said, the day she came, I knew she was not leaving. Um, and the family really quickly fell in love with Aaron. So Christy and Taylor were both teenagers at the time. So they just loved carrying her around, you know, it's like your own little like baby doll that you get to Mm -hmm. love on. Um, and Laura was frequently like, she would frequently bring her to Oak Ridge high school games to support the band. And she became known as like the band baby. So everyone was like, Oh, there's our like little mascot, Aaron. She's, you know, the band baby. Um, and when Aaron was three, the adoption did become official, so Laura did become homeschooling the children when Aaron was going into first grade and the family owned dozens of animals. So Aaron was shy and gentle and she was also trusting and passionate. So she taught her cat to do tricks. She taught a rabbit how to walk on a leash and she'd even tamed a horse. And apparently this horse was like <laughs> wild, like nobody wow. could go near this horse. Everyone was like, mm-hmm. but she was able to really like tame it, calm it and like have a good relationship with that horse. Just total animal whisperer over there. (laughs) So she was always calm and patient and loving and like nurturing with animals, just really like loved animals. Um, Mm -hmm. So Aaron maintained some contact with Deborah's parents, but not really much with Deborah. And Aaron would eventually join the 4-H club. So Aaron and John Corwin actually did meet when she was very young, but John's younger sister loved horses and so did Aaron. So it was more just kind of like his younger sister's friend and didn't really think much of her. And then in 2010, Aaron joined Facebook, like we all did. (laughs) And she loved to share pictures of her horses and Bible verses. And around this time, um, you know, she's getting older. John did add her on Facebook as a friend and they did start talking over private message. 
So Jonathan Wayne Corwin was born at Oak Ridge and a year older than Aaron. So his parents, Tommy Corwin and Sheila Braden, had divorced when he was young and both had remarried. So John lived in Oak Ridge with his mom while his dad lived in Sevierville. And John was pretty quiet and reserved. He did like to shoot guns and ride four wheelers. Like I feel like most people who live in Oak Ridge do. Not not (laughs) that it's like a bad thing, just like that's kind of very country, you know, like that's what Mm -hmm. you do on the weekends. Um, And he had expressed to many friends he wanted to join the Marines when he graduated. So Aaron and John messaged frequently. And on her 16th birthday, John did ask her parents permission to take her on a date. And in July, they did go on their first date. And by the end of August, they were officially a couple. So John did graduate in May 2011 and officially enlisted in the Marines. So Erin was sad, like she wouldn't be able to talk to him like during boot camp. Um, But her parents were a little relieved because they were like, she's pretty young. Maybe they need the space apart to make sure like they Mm -hmm. really love each other. And it's not just, you know, high school love. Yeah. Um. And they thought the relationship was progressing really fast and the distance could just kind of calm them down and make sure they knew what they were getting into. Mm -hmm. So John graduated boot camp and was eventually stationed at Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center in 29 Palms, which is in like San Bernardino, California. And Aaron graduated in 2012. And on July 4th, 2012, John did propose to Aaron. They tried to plan a wedding, but John was having trouble getting leave. I mean, he's freshly in the Marines. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So basically, they just flew to Las Vegas and eloped on November 10th. And for the first year of their marriage, they actually lived apart. Um, So he was deployed to Japan and they thought it would just be better for Aaron to stay with her family in Oak Ridge than like go to where he was stationed or like go with him. I don't know Mm -hmm. if it was an option to go with him or not, but they decided it'd be best if she just stayed in Oak Ridge. And she was able to live in a condo her brother owned because they were trying to get her used to like being an adult, living on her own, like not just living with her parents. Cause it's like, well, you are married and you are going to go, you know, live with your husband. Mm-hmm. Eventually you need to kind of learn how to live on your own as an adult. Yeah. And on September 25th, 2013, Aaron officially moved to 29 Palms. So Aaron and John were living in an apartment on base and they adopted two dogs, Max and Grace, and later a cat who the book does not name, which I find kind of rude because what was the cat's name? <laughs> right. Why, why did you name the dogs and not the cat? Right? That's um, not okay. I'm a little offended, but you know what, Shannon, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so John and Aaron quickly became friends with their neighbors, Chris and Nicole Lee and Connor and Ashling. Malik Malachi Malachi I'm really sorry I don't know how to pronounce your last name uh, maybe you don't want to officially be named <laughs> so Aaron and Chris Lee soon had like a really strong connection um, Christopher Brandon Lee was born on September 12th 1989 um, and Chris and Nicole had met in high school and fell for each other very fast and Nicole got pregnant at 17 and she did keep the baby which was a girl named Liberty Chris did join the Marines to support their family, and they got married in 2009. They eventually moved to 29 Palms and quickly just burned bridges with a bunch of different couple friends. Like, they would make friends and screw them over so quickly that the friends were like, please don't ever talk to me again. (laughs) Um, Many reported that they wouldn't really keep their house clean. It was always just really gross, especially with, like, their daughter there. Um, Mm -hmm. And they even reported stalking former friends, like, friends that were kind (laughs) of like, don't talk to me anymore. Like, they would go and stalk them, like, oh, they're wild. (laughs) They're wild. Yeah. Um, 
And a lot of former friends said it just seemed like something was kind of off with Chris. Um, So they did move into the apartments in 2012 and Chris and Connor quickly became friends and would go out a lot. Um, Ashling wasn't really fond of the Lees. She said they would just bring Liberty to her apartment and leave her to babysit without even asking. So they would just like come in and be like, here's my daughter. I'm going to go pee and then never come back. (laughs) And apparently they did this with like a lot of other friends too, where it was just like, oh my gosh, I don't understand how you could just be like, here's my daughter. Bye. Like have fun. Yeah. Um, Chris was deployed to Afghanistan and returned in April 2013. Um, So he never really saw combat during his deployment, but he did change when he got home. Um, Like things that used to bring him joy really just seemed meaningless. Um, He was not doing well and him and Nicole were kind of having issues adjusting as well. He even said at one point, like he wanted to go back because he was like, I just woke up. I went on parole. There was less expectations of my life. Like I just knew what I was doing. I wake up, I do this, Mm -hmm. I go to bed, like. So when Aaron came along, Nicole and Ashling befriended her pretty quickly, even though she was a bit younger. Um, Chris had become involved in a horse rescue ranch to help like adjusting back after deployment. And so Chris and Nicole would take her with them like when they went because, you know, Aaron loved horses. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron and John did start to fight some, especially about money, because they were mostly living off of John's salary and things were pretty tight. And in early January, 2014, Erin also found out she was pregnant and she was very, very excited, but she did suffer from a miscarriage. Um, After this, Erin became kind of closed off and just depressed. Um, And in her morning, she started using shopping as a coping mechanism. So their credit card debt become really a lot worse and they were already fighting about money before. So it was kind of just like escalated. Mm-hmm. Um, John did take her cards away and this made Aaron very resentful. Cause she's like, Oh great. Now I can't do anything. I just have to sit in this apartment. <laughs> so Chris noticed how sad Aaron was and began spending more time with her alone. And by February, the two seemed very close. Um, many of their close friends reported they were kind of flirty with each other. And it also was reported around this time that Aaron and Chris kissed. And from there, it seems like an affair began. So Aaron did seem happier with the new relationship, began and even confessed to her best friend from Tennessee, Jesse Trenum, about the relationship. So Jesse's like, I don't support adultery. I don't think that's good, but she did seem happy and I want my friend to be happy. Like, I'm not going to judge. She's my best friend. I'm not going to judge her. But if she's happy, mm-hmm. like, okay. So Chris and Aaron would confide in each other about their marital problems. And Aaron said she was unhappy and that she wanted to return to Tennessee. So Ashling actually caught them kissing once. And Chris did confess to her like about their secret relationship. So Ashling was like, okay, you guys need to end this. Cause it was like in her apartment too. Like they had stayed in her mm. apartment. She like went to the kitchen, came back out and they're like kissing. And she's like, nope, no, 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 nope. no, we're not doing this. I do not condone this guys. Yeah. So she was like, you need to end this. And Chris is like, well, the relationship's not really serious. I was going to end it anyway. You know, it was just like a fling. Um, But Aaron was telling Jesse that she was going to divorce John and move to Anchorage, which is Chris's hometown with him when his contract was up with the Marines. So she was like, oh no, like we're running off together while Chris is like, oh, this is nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Very different um, views there. Yeah. Cause he had no intentions of leaving Nicole and he didn't want to lose rights to see his daughter Liberty. So he was like, I don't want to lose my daughter. Like I'm not going to leave my family for you basically. 
So Nicole started suspecting things were up and eventually was able to get access to his text messages and saw what he'd been saying to Aaron. So Chris said it was only his depression and Aaron was just a distraction. So they'd planned to try and work it out, like with Chris seeking some counseling. Um, But Nicole heavily monitored Chris and deleted Aaron's number from his phone. And Nicole solely blamed Aaron for the affair. Like she didn't blame Chris at all. She only blamed Aaron, which yes, Aaron knew he was married and that's super fucking shitty, but it takes two to have an affair. (laughs) Like you got to be mad at your husband. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that happens so much where you're like, oh, I just blame the other person. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm, your significant other also participated in this. And they're the ones that like Aaron doesn't give a shit about you. I mean, again, not that she's in the right. Mm-hmm. Like she's also, you know, betraying her husband. But it's like you should be mad at the person who is betraying you, the person yeah. that you are committed to. Chris made a vow to be with you in exactly what you define the boundaries of your relationship. And he's betraying yes. those boundaries not Aaron. Aaron made no promise to Mm -hmm. you. Um, yeah. She didn't make a promise to John. Exactly. (laughs) That's a problem too, but (laughs) you can't really just blame her here. Yeah. So in April, the three couples planned to cook out and be the first time Chris and Aaron saw each other since Nicole discovered the affair. So I don't understand how you could be like, yeah, I know. Like, let's just all get together again. (laughs) I don't know. It's a recipe for disaster. I mean, (laughs) Okay. So I do like, this has been in my, in my mind the whole time. So I'm just going to insert it here. Like this whole story is like wild as someone who is from Tennessee, got married around this time, lived in the Marine Corps life with couples like this. Like, I mean, it would not surprise me. Like I knew people like this, like you had these weird, like it was almost like a college, like friendship kind of thing where it's like, everyone was super close because like you're in the exact same situation. Like everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like, you would have couples that just kind of like swapped and it was, but then they would still hang out together and just weird would they swap dynamic. Like consensually or like secret affairs? Oh, both. Okay. Both. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, but, yeah. but it, it does not surprise me at all that they would like have an affair and it would come out and then they would still be hanging out together on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. Like does not surprise me one bit. Yeah, It's, it's just, wild, but <laughs> it is super wild. And I just think about like, cause this is like three couples. So if I think about yeah. like meet you and Tiffany and like, if I knew <laughs> like Kevin was cheating on me with like Tiffany and then us just all, and like you caught them, and we just all get together for a cookout. Like, let's all have I a just, cookout. Oh, but no. you also have to keep in mind too, that like these people are like early twenties, like they're college yeah. aged. They're just, and they're, they're not the that they're Corps, not they're, friends, friends, but you're also sometimes friends because of circumstances. You're like, we're exactly. all away from our friends and family. So you're be going to become my friend. So it's not, mm-hmm. you don't have the loyalty as much. I would yeah. think to like your friendships. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. But yeah, it's, it's crazy, but you know, it happens. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Where was I? Oh, here we go. <laughs> so we're at the cookout. First one mm-hmm. after Nicole has discovered the affair. <laughs> so at this cookout, Nicole told John about Chris and Aaron's affair because John did not know at this point. Um, everyone apparently, but John knew, which is kind of sad. It made me a little sad, you know, yeah. like having to find out like, oh yeah, we all know every single one of mm-hmm. us here, except you, um, all of your friends here at this cookout. So we're all hanging out together again. None of this surprises me. Like, I feel like <laughs> I've lived this life. <laughs> like- <laughs> I hope you were the Ashling and Connor of it and not <laughs> Yeah, Andrew and I just kind of like stayed away mm-hmm. from this shit. But like, I remember being at events where like 
there's talks about stuff like that and you're just like well i'm not i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna go home now this is <laughs> i'm gonna go home i'm gonna head out um <laughs> So John and Aaron were going to try to fix their marriage after this. John really didn't want a divorce. He really loved Aaron and he really wanted to try and work it out. So they did talk about moving away from the apartment complex, which I think is a great first step. Um, Yeah. So John had always planned to make a career out of the Marines, but he was like, maybe I just need to, once my contract's up, call it, we can go back to Oak Ridge maybe settle down into like a more he's like this marine life is not what i want so far my wife's cheating on me mm-hmm. and i'm with my, <laughs> my friend who's my neighbor and i just don't don't want it yeah so yeah and during all of this their money issues continued to worsen and so they just started fighting about everything um, but chris's military contract was ending on july 7th 2014 and so he planned to move back to anchorage and go to college So then on June 22nd, 2014, so just a few weeks before Chris's contract was ending, Aaron discovered that she was three weeks pregnant. So John was very excited, but Aaron seemed kind of strange about it. Um, She was really stressed out and very distant. And so Laura, remember, who is Aaron's mom, had planned on visiting her for her 20th birthday. So Aaron was really excited to like show her around these local spots. And she was cleaning the apartment, trying to get everything ready for her visit. Um, and John was increasingly talking about leaving the Marines at this time. Um, and Aaron and Laura were going to check out a mechanical school together while she was in town. Um, so Aaron talked to Laura on June 26th about these plans. Then on June 27th, Chris and his family spent the day at the horse ranch. So as he was leaving, he noticed a white blue rhino propane tank in the tool shed and asked to borrow it. So they left the ranch around 9 p.m. and stopped at a grocery store near base. So they eventually came back home and went to bed. And Chris had seen Connor and said that he was going hunting the next day if he'd like to join him. So Aaron was also in bed and told John that she needed some time alone and was planning to drive out to Joshua Tree tomorrow to scout out some places to take her mom, but said she would be home by 4 p.m. So on June 28th, Aaron woke up around dawn. Um, She put on denim shorts and a pink tank top, and she called Jesse for a little bit and talked about her plans for the day. And she told John, who was still in bed, goodbye. And then he saw her get into her car and drive towards the exit of the base. So Chris was also up early this morning um, preparing to go hunting and Connor decided not to come. So Connor did notice a white propane tank in the car and Chris said that he planned to blow up a mine shaft. Just, Just a weird things, I guess. hobby, right? Like, okay, going hunting and blow up a mine shaft while I'm there, you know, whatever. We'll see what happens. Yeah. See where the day takes us. So not in a good way, apparently. Um yeah. So Chris left base around 7 a.m. And at 8.16 a.m., Connor texted Chris saying that he could come now. So Chris texted where to meet him, but then he turned his phone on airplane mode. Um, And Chris didn't turn his phone back on until 3.30 p.m. So Connor was really annoyed because he's like, okay, like I said that I could meet up with you. And then he showed up and he couldn't find where Chris was. Um, So we tried to look for him for about three hours and then decided to go home. I'm like, I would not look for you for three hours. I would go home after 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I was gonna say like 10 minutes tops can't find you. All right. I'm going back to bed. I don't, I'm not gonna spend three hours looking for you. Um, So when Connor asked him where he had been, he said that he was looking for a good place to hunt coyotes and he got lost and lost service. But again, remember you can see that his phone was on airplane mode through this time. Mm -hmm. Connor did notice that the propane tank wasn't in the car anymore. And Chris said that it hadn't gone off like he thought it would. 
So around 4 p.m., John noticed that Erin wasn't back because remember, she said she would be back around 4 p.m. Um, so we started calling her phone and just kept calling, kept calling. And so the next morning, he still hadn't seen her, still hadn't heard from her. So he did call the San Bernardino Sheriff's Office to report Erin missing. Um, so an officer showed up and started asking John questions and they talked to the neighbors around the complex. They also talked to Chris, who didn't really seem like surprised or concerned. He also said they barely knew each other, mostly just waved from the hall. And then he hadn't spoken to her in two months. Like, do you not think they're going to interview other people who would say that's not true? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you think this is going to go? So they also interviewed Ashling. So she knew about Connor trying to find Chris around the same time and being unable to get a hold of him. So she told officers all about their affair. And so officers are now suspicious because Chris is like, oh, I barely know her. But like, that would make sense if you're trying to keep an affair quiet. Um, they did wonder too, if he was doing so, because like in the military, you can technically like be punished through the military. If you're caught cheating, it's not usually enforced because there's a lot of cheating in the military. Yeah, they probably were like, <laughs> I can't keep up with this. Yeah. But, but you can technically like get in trouble through the military for cheating on your spouse. So they're like, maybe he's just trying to cover that up. So officers did try to interview him again. And they're like, look, if you guys are having a consensual affair, like we don't care about that. We're not going to like prosecute you for that. We're just trying to get more information. We're trying to find this girl. Um, they did know that Aaron was pregnant. So then they start to speculate that the baby could be his. So they did lie to him and say that she was two months pregnant because they're like, oh, you said you haven't talked to her in two months. Well, surprise, she's two months pregnant, even though it was only three weeks. Mm -hmm. But he said they never had sex. So now with no sign of Aaron, this is quickly turning into a homicide investigation. And Chris is looking a little suspicious. Um, they also feared that maybe she could just be lost in Joshua Tree and needed help because not uncommon at all to mm -hmm. get lost, especially in a place like that. Um, you know, you're you run out of gas, you're having car troubles, you don't have any water, you know, anything like that that happens all the time in national parks. So the officers did reach out to Aaron's friend, Jesse, who told them that Chris and Aaron's affair had actually started up again. Um, so they had separated for a while after Nicole found out, but then Chris slipped Aaron a poem that he had written about her and they started seeing each other again, but they were really discreet this time. Um, Jesse said that in early May, they had sex and did continue a sexual relationship. Um, Aaron had told Jesse again about how she wanted to move to Alaska with him and how she was just so in love with him. And so when Aaron found out she was pregnant, she did tell Chris that it was his baby. Um, Chris apparently responded positively to the news and said he was excited, um, but he was also worried about Nicole's response. So he asked Aaron not to tell anyone for like a week or so. Um, however, on June 22nd, John learned that Aaron was pregnant when he took her to the hospital. Do you know why? Like what she was, she was really, she was really sick. For? Yeah. So I think it oh, might've okay. been like maybe early, like morning sickness, but like uh, apparently she was like very, very sick. And like, he was like, I don't know if maybe like she was worried that she could be having a miscarriage again or mm, like, yeah, what, but like that she sense. was just very sick. So they took her to the hospital and that's when the hospital was like, oh yeah, you're pregnant. Like Hey, congrats. Gotcha. <laughs> it's like no hiding it from your husband yeah. now. Um, so then Chris told Aaron that he wanted to take her somewhere special to celebrate her pregnancy. And he said that he had a special surprise for her. So they were going to spend the whole day together, but he wouldn't give her any details. Um, they planned for that day to be June 28th. So all this is coming from Aaron's friend, Jesse. Um, and Aaron also told Jesse about their day and how Chris did tell her that it was going to be near the national park. 
Um, and Aaron was hoping that they could talk about the baby and their relationship. And Chris had told Nicole about the hunting trip as a decoy to secretly meet Aaron. So Jesse didn't want to like fully tell John about it when Aaron didn't call. And so she was like hoping that maybe her and Chris had run away. But when the officer said that they had spoken to Chris, she's like, okay, there's, there's a big red flag here. Like Aaron did not run away with this guy. Like something's wrong. Um, so she did tell police everything. I do want to say Ashling and Jesse are like the MVPs of this story. <laughs> Cause yeah, Ashling was sure. like, yeah, Chris was sleeping with Chris. They were having an affair. <laughs> Don't let him tell you <laughs> yeah. he didn't know her. And then Jesse's like, you talk to him okay yeah their affair started back up and it was his baby (laughs) she's like yeah gonna tell you (laughs) yeah she's like i'm I'm not keeping these secrets Mm -mm. and i think both of them were kind of suspicious of chris in general just as like a person kind of weird and so ashling was like "Mm, i'm gonna tell you because he's kind of (laughs) weird yep yeah So searches of the desert did begin quickly after she was reported missing and many volunteers came out to help. Um, The temperatures were brutal. So obviously it made the searches very difficult. Um, A woman named Debbie Valick had seen Aaron's car parked about five miles from Joshua Tree on Saturday, June 28th. And she thought that it was kind of odd because it was in like a random spot where no trails were. Um, But Debbie didn't want to get out of her car and look, but she did snap a few pictures on her phone. So on Monday, another individual reported the car. And so when police found out it was Aaron's, Debbie did contact detectives and send them the photos that she had. Um, So now they knew like how long Aaron's car had been there. Clearly, she did go to Joshua Tree National Park. She didn't go anywhere else. Um, It looked like maybe she had gotten into another car from this spot. So they're like, we're pretty sure she was going into the park because, again, this was like nearby. I also just realized I'm so sorry for the sidebar, um, but I was like looking up at the calendar and this episode will be released a week before the 10 year anniversary of Aaron's disappearance. And that was not intentional. Wow. Yeah. You know, we should have said it was intentional because we never plan these things ahead of time. So we should have jumped on that we and said that should it was have released this the next week and it been on the official 10 year. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, we, could have done I just, we can sneak in another episode real quick yeah. and push this. <laughs> no, but I just wanted, I don't know why I just randomly like the date for some reason. Yeah. Not when doing like just at that moment, not during any of the other <laughs> stuff I was looking and I was like, Hey, by the way, so next week it will be, if maybe you're listening a week yes. late, the 10 year anniversary of when Aaron went missing. Wow. So obviously at this point, Chris is a pretty good suspect, um, but police were not yet ready to rule out John. I mean, his wife is having an affair, is pregnant with possibly another man's baby. You're going to be considered a suspect as well. Um, So they did interrogate him. He said he didn't know that Aaron was still seeing Chris. Um, He said he didn't have an alibi because he just like stayed in his apartment. But he's like, I didn't leave the base. Um, He did seem really distant during the interviews and police got search warrants to search both Aaron and Chris's apartments as well as their cars. So they did find Aaron's laptop with post-it notes with like different apartments that were in Alaska. And detectives also found the poem that Chris had written to her. So they asked John if it was his, but he said it wasn't and it wasn't his handwriting. Um, Meanwhile, Nicole is just livid and uncooperative. Um, and investigators did know that Chris had two guns registered to him and they could not find his hunting rifle. Yeah. I think when they were searching Chris's apartment, Nicole was just screaming at them the entire time, which I'm like, why do you think this is helpful? Yeah. That's, that's not going to help anything, Nicole. And then in the book, I'll have to send it to you when we get done recording in the book, they have a picture of her and I'm like, that is exactly what I thought she would look like. <laughs> exactly. To to the outfit, what I thought she would look mm, like. I have a picture in my head. I can't wait to see if I'm right. <laughs> 
So the officers um, interviewed Chris again. He told them about their affair. And Chris said that Aaron and John's marriage was falling apart. So he did maintain that he and Aaron only ever kissed. He's like, we did not have sex. Um, He also claimed that their affair ended, but he wouldn't give firm dates about when it started or ended. So he's just like, no, we're just not doing that anymore. But Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you like when it stopped or when it started. Um, They did notice a cut on his finger and he said that he cut it while he was out hunting with a knife in his back pocket. Um, He said that he had used his hunting rifle that day and Nicole had stashed it at the horse ranch that they went to often. Um, He also said he turned his phone on airplane mode to conserve the battery. And he said he didn't see any coyotes, but he did shoot his gun at some rocks. Um, And he, which, why? (laughs) I don't know. That made me laugh too. Like, why are you going to waste your bullets? Just like, wow, at the rock. (laughs) That seems really dumb. Like, I feel like a bullet could ricochet off a rock, right? Like, it's not going (laughs) to go into a rock. I mean, maybe Um, he also talked about blowing up a mine shaft. So I don't think we're dealing with the smartest, uh, the brightest bulb in the tanning bed here. (laughs) Very true. Um, He also said that he ran into a man who was wearing a brown shirt and khaki pants. um, And he the man had aimed a pistol at him. So he fired four shots in the man's direction and then got out of there. Um, After this, he realized that he forgot water and decided to go home. (laughs) What? Like, what story are you telling here, sir? Mm -hmm. What are you even talking about? Um, He was very descriptive of this man and the location. And so they asked him, like, why he didn't call anyone at this point. And he said, I literally lacked the ability to because of the area we were in. So this stood out to detectives because he said we and not I. Because remember, he had insisted he was by himself this whole time because Connor was supposed to come and then didn't come. He came trying to find him, but they like never met up. But he Mm -hmm. said that he was by himself blowing up a mine shaft, shooting at rocks, waving guns at people with pistols, doing all these things by himself. But now he says we in the statement. And also too, it's like the whole day he was like, I don't know. Like I went out there. I don't know times. I don't know times. I don't know really where I was. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's like, this man was shooting at me and was wearing this, like could describe him like head to toe <laughs> in the exact location. And they're like, what, like why this story? Like it was so random. Yeah. Of like, I don't really remember. It was a vague day to this whole thing. Yeah. Th- things are not adding up here. Um, so detectives really pushed Chris about where Aaron's car was found. Um, they did lie and say that the tire tracks there matched his. So he tried to say that that wasn't possible. Um, he did eventually confess that he didn't see her on Saturday, but that he had seen her car. Um, he said he lied because he was scared to admit that he had seen her car since they like had this previous relationship. So he's like, I wasn't going to tell you that I knew where her car was because then you're going to think I did something. We see this so often. Like, I think we can all see where this is going. Um, yeah. But it's like, oh, no, I didn't know her. Okay. I didn't tell you because I was having an affair with her. But mm-hmm. no, this didn't happen. Well, I didn't see her. I saw her car. It's like you're slowly trying to incorporate little, little truth facts yeah. while still lying. Like, yeah. It's like once you're confronted with, like, what evidence they do have, you're like, oh, well, how can I tie this in and still keep a lie going? Yeah. So detectives told Chris that Aaron had told Jesse that they had plans together. So they're like, we have this information coming from her best friend. Like, we know that you guys have plans together. And so Chris claimed that Aaron had been a liar throughout their relationship. So she probably lied when she was telling Jesse this. Um, He said that she had also lied to him about her husband beating her and hurting her. He just kept calling her a pathological liar. And he maintained that their affair had ended and he had no plans to see her. Um, He did agree to give a fingerprint and DNA sample. Yeah, so as you've seen, detectives have caught Chris in many lies, but they really had no concrete proof that he was with Aaron that day or that he had, like, murdered her or 
had any foul play with her. So it's like, he's very suspicious, but we don't, we do have Jesse saying they were supposed to meet up. We don't have anyone seeing that they actually did meet up though. Mm-hmm. So officers did take Nicole to the ranch to retrieve the gun because um, like also in the book, it kind of hinted that like Chris kind of like maybe told Nicole what happened and was like, Hey, like go, go stash this gun. Um, so Isabel Miguel, who is the owner of the ranch and horse rescue was completely taken off guard. So she had no idea that they had gone into her house and hidden this gun. Like she had sneaked in and hidden it. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And so, and she was like, I don't know why they hid it here. I don't know. Like she's probably pissed. Cause she's like, why are you involving me in your affair? Bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. Police matters too. Yeah. So Nicole also complained about Chris to Isabel and how he couldn't keep his story straight. And then she was also just berating Aaron, like just talking horribly about Aaron. Mm -hmm. Um, And Isabel didn't think it was possible. They had anything to do with it, but now Isabel was drug into it and she is not happy about it. She's like, now I have police around my ranch. Like I'm just trying to live a happy life here with my horse rescue (laughs) and you're bringing this shit. (laughs) Yeah. Like why, why did you need to do this? This was unnecessary. Yeah. So they were going to stay with Isabel until he was discharged, then drive back to Alaska. So since there was no concrete evidence on Chris, um, John was still being considered a suspect at this point. Like they're still trying to work both sides here. So John was feeling very alone and distraught because also his wife is missing. It's all coming out about this affair and he's miles away from his family or any true friends. Like, yeah, that's rough. You know, he was feeling all this, but he really was not one to show his emotions. So he wasn't really showing like these huge, you know, displays of emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, of course, the media and public were like, it means he's guilty. It means like whatever, you know, kind of this maybe I hope we're pushing away from this was kind of old school. Like he did it because he's not showing enough emotion. Yeah. But like also like he's a Marine, like they are trained not to show emotion. Like they are trained yeah. to not like express their feelings in that way. So uh, what exactly. And he's like 22 and he probably yeah. doesn't even know like how to appropriately, like, I still think about Kevin all the time. Like if mm-hmm. I went missing and he had nothing to do with it, everyone would think he did it because yeah. he just does not show happy, sad, anything emotion, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, So the affair was not public knowledge yet, um, but still kind of gossiped about. So I think that kind of contributed to it also. Like people didn't really understand this other possible Mm -hmm. side. Um, John was also removed from active duty. So he worked in the artillery and they considered him to be a little mentally unstable and probably shouldn't be working with the guns, which I can't really blame. Like they didn't like punish him. They were like, maybe take a few days to not be around some guns. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like this, this, um, probably isn't the best uh, situation for you currently. Um, But because a lot of this was not public knowledge, his absence from work now fueled suspicion on him even more. So now Mm -hmm. gossips are like, oh, well, he's not at work anymore. Like, you know what that means? Yeah. Um, And people on social media were horrible towards him, calling him a murderer, spreading rumors, completely trashing him on the internet. Mm -hmm. So Chris and Nicole's lease on the apartment was up on July 4th and Chris was being discharged on July 7th. So on July 4th, they also issued a search warrant for Isabel's property. Um, So the warrant covered all the vehicles on the property. So they were actually able to search Chris's U-Haul as well, since they were coming to stay Mm. with Isabel while, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in between the apartment lease and leaving for Alaska. Mm -hmm. Um, So Chris's black sheep from the day 
I said sheep. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. I think I missed a piece of the story here, Courtney. You never told me he had a black sheep. Okay. (laughs) Is it living with the horses? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) He really felt close to it. He's like, I'm the black sheep too. (laughs) Also, I, I feel like maybe this is just personally, but anyone I know that like, on social media they're like oh i'm the black sheep of the family and i'm like y'all are not the black sheep like anyone who thinks they're a black sheep is usually not the black sheep i just anyway maybe that's just my personal experience (laughs) with those people (laughs) so his black jeep from the day of aaron's disappearance was already in police custody and being examined so that warrant didn't really matter on that one just picturing a sheep the whole time now well we gotta get (laughs) your sheep in custody custody. (laughs) we're examining you just like in the police station, just bah. What do you know? Bah. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm sweaty. Oh, sweaty again. Another sweaty episode of Caffeinated oh. Crimes. I laughed so hard I knocked out my headphones. <laughs> Put it back in. <laughs> okay. So they were able to confiscate a phone and an iPad of Nicole's, and they also found a disassembled potato launcher. So I don't really know why you have that, but <laughs> is it for the they sheep? Can... <laughs> oh, that's not. <laughs> they're playing fetch with their sheep with this potato launcher. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is so disrespectful and off the rails. Oh. Okay, <laughs> rain it in. <laughs> rain it in. I had another joke there, but I'm just going <laughs> to. Okay. Okay. So they found the disassembled potato launcher. So this can be used as a weapon, apparently. Like, I don't know, um, since it's like disassembled or whatever. So they could use that to arrest Chris. So now we have Chris hmm. in custody, thankfully. However, Nicole was able to post his bail with help from his parents. Um, so he was released on July 7th. He was officially dishonorably discharged from the Marines on his last day and then (laughs) since he was released he could leave but was supposed to return for court dates they were Mm -hmm. like i mean yeah like we don't you don't have to stay here but if you miss a court date we're gonna come find you yeah and on july 8th chris nicole and liberty left for anchorage they just took their time exploring on the way up they just drove made stops saw friends you know whatever um but apparently this arrest had not spooked chris he was like yeah whatever cool i'm gonna go to i'm gonna go to alaska peace Hmm. out Mm -hmm. so chris did hire i'm gonna Mm. butcher this name i'm so sorry man david kalliano kalli kalloyanides anyway sure he's a top-rated defense attorney um and that he hired him in case he was questioned further ever just to have an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the police were pretty tight lip about the investigation, but on July 21st, um, the warrant that was served on Isabel's ranch was now leaked. Um, and so now for the first time, Chris and Nicole Lee were named in the media in relation mm-hmm. to Aaron's disappearance. So for this whole month, since Aaron went missing, nobody knew Chris mm-hmm. and Nicole had any, you know, anything to do with this case. Yeah. Um, but with a leaked warrant, they were like, Oh, this is what's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. 
Soon, Chris's picture was in the news nationwide, on the cover of magazines, and on July 30th, People Magazine ran a cover story about the search for Aaron with the headline, Mystery of the Marine Wife, Pregnant and Missing, Did a Love Triangle Lead to Tragedy? And it also included a picture of Aaron, John, and Chris. Hmm. So searches were still going on for Aaron in the desert every day, despite the heat. I mean, this is the desert in California in the summer. It is hot. Um And homicide investigators were actually sleeping in their cars some nights just so they could start searches early. So they're like, we don't have to drive an hour home and come back. Like, we're just going to sleep here so we can start early the next day. And despite any real leads, investigators were using every resource to try and find her. Um, So they covered many miles in the desert and they realized if like they didn't find Aaron, like no one's ever going to be brought to justice for what happened to her because any defense attorney and a case like this could be like, she just is lost in the desert. Mm -hmm. How do we know she's not lost? And her possible killer would be free. So they're like, we just, we have to find Erin. We have to find her. And investigators decided while they were trying to find Erin, they're also going to try to start building a case against Chris in case they never found her. So Ashling and Connor told detectives about the things they noticed with Chris. So Connor said on, um, how he saw on the day Aaron disappeared about the white propane tank in the Jeep and how he'd planned to try and blow up a mine. And a fellow Marine who had previously worked with Chris also said he'd been asking how to hide a body where no one would find it and made notes on how to do it. Like wrote it down. Um, sir, that does not seem very smart. No. Um, so inf- investigators are like, okay, we feel like we have like a good amount of evidence here building up against Chris. Like we have a motive. We have like mm-hmm. him talking about killing people, writing down notes and how to make him disappear. Um, but they're not really sure. Like how much does Nicole know? Like, mm-hmm. How much is Nicole involved in this? So investigators searched on John's laptop and phone records, everything he had lined up exactly as he said of like playing games that day, never leaving base. And they officially cleared John. So they're like, John had nothing to do with this, which I was thinking too, like usually like coming on and leaving base, there's like cameras or like Mm -hmm. people stationed there. I'm like, I feel like you'd be able to see like if he never left, I can't imagine it's that easy to sneak off a Marine base and back in. So yeah. Cause like, Sorry, it's thundering so loud. I just like, heard that. My walls are shaking. <laughs> like, that's what I keep like wow. looking at. I was like, what the fuck? I hadn't heard it until just then. I heard like, <laughs> yeah, it's so loud. Um, so this was back in, this was 2014, 2012. 2012. Okay. So I know at some point while Andrew was in, they went from, no, I think they always scanned IDs. Like I know now they scan your ID every time. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure then they scanned your ID every time coming into base. So they wouldn't scan it when you were leaving, but like they also have a record of every time you entered the base. So if you can see he entered at this time and didn't enter again until whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, like you can see like he didn't leave and come back. So that's pretty easy to, like I said, it's not very easy to sneak off of a base. So also I am wrong. It is 2014. So this will be released from the eight year anniversary of her disappearance. And you know what guys, I'm really sorry <laughs> just all over the place today okay well I'm I got so the date sorry. right I'm very proud of myself <laughs> yes yes I I don't know guys I'm really sorry um anything after like around then yeah yeah, yeah. dates are hard to anyway 
Okay. Yes. So John had been very helpful and cooperative. Um, and the data on his laptop did prove he was at home when he said he was his cell phone, never left the areas surrounding the base. Um, and they just really believed John was telling the truth. Um, like, you know, he was very cooperative the whole time. Didn't like change his story a million times. Like somebody we know, like <laughs> all this. Um, and they did believe he had no part whatsoever in her disappearance. Um, and evidence just keeps pointing towards the lease though. The more mm-hmm. they're doing, they're like, mm. Yeah. So the original search had covered approximately 2000 square miles, including Joshua Tree National Park, the 29 Palms Marine Base and the unincorporated community of Amboy, which is like a ghost town off of Route 66. So a professional local caver drafted a map of the mines in the areas and highlighted which ones would be most likely to hide a body in. So searches worked in teams to look at like each of the mines, but by the seventh week, hundreds of mines have been thoroughly searched with no sign of Aaron. And this was very costly and very time consuming to have this many people covering this much. Mm -hmm. Um, So San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department said August 16th would be the last day they would officially search for Aaron. They're like, we hate to do this, but we just can't keep going. Yeah. And on August 16th, Luca Ch- Chirabini came across a degraded mine shaft that smelled like gasoline and an extremely foul odor. And he was like, I wonder if this is Aaron. Like, this kind of smells like decom. Mm-hmm. So John Norman, who was the coordinator of the search, was called. And he'd created this device that could record a video inside a mine. So he used, like, a one-gallon bucket, a GoPro camera, a floodlight, and, like, model airplane batteries and they called it like bucket cam Hmm. so they could like lower it in without having to send people in because Mm -hmm. that's a lot to send people into a mine shaft yeah and so we could easily just drop into the mine search around don't have to send anyone um and once john got to the site he was also struck by the smell and he was like oof yeah you're right this is this is strong um So, and he also said it smelled like gasoline and body decomp. So unfortunately, because the slope of this mine, the bucket cam would not work. So someone is going to have to go down. And Luca did volunteer to go down into the mine. um, And he had like a mask he could wear also to help because of that Mm -hmm. really strong smell. Yeah. So Luca went down. Um, Once he got about 20 feet down, a gas detector on his belt said that the air was toxic. And like lacked oxygen. So this is like a very dangerous like area to be in. So he did have oxygen in his face mask. So he was safe, but he said the fumes were really, really strong. Even through his mask, he could like smell the fumes. His eyes were watering. He said the smell of gas was intense, unbearable. Yeah. Um, So once he passed the slope, Luca was able to use bucket cam to go the rest of the way. He said he could make out maybe the outline of a body coiled on the floor. And he said, but he couldn't really tell what it was and that she almost kind of looked headless. Like it didn't mm-hmm. really look like you would expect it to look. So one of the detect- detectives was asking like, can you go lower? But he's like, I can't breathe with the mm-hmm. gas, with my everything. Like I can't breathe. So after 15 minutes, he came back up. So John and detective Jonathan Woods reviewed the footage. The video was dark and difficult to tell. And they're like, it could be a body. And they did see a discarded tire and maybe a propane tank, which, you know, seemed to be the venting the toxic fumes into the shaft. Um, And as we know, a tire and a propane tank were aligned with the evidence. You know, we do have a missing propane tank. Mm -hmm. So it was decided Luca would go back down and try to go 
further down with the camera. He tried to go down further and let the camera hover longer. Again, it's really difficult with these fumes. Um, so John reviewed the footage and said this time it strongly looked like a body. Um, but they needed to be absolutely certain that it was Aaron's body. So they needed a close-up image on video. So now another volunteer, Justin Wheaton, is going to go down into the shaft. Um, he had a full-faced respirator, which would protect him. So lower down, Justin shined his light from bucket cam. and he saw her. Um, her body was very badly decomposed and broken, and he let them know over the radio that it was her. Um, detectives wanted to retrieve her body immediately, and they did send another volunteer down, um, but John believed it called for more backup and likely hazmat suits with the conditions. They're like, yeah. I, we have to be very, very careful with this. Um, so they just planned for the next day for firefighters to come and retrieve her body. And they were also going to try to bring a forensic dentist out to try and identify her once the body was just, like recovered. So around 3 p.m., firefighter Britton Baum entered the mine shaft. He said it was very eerie and deeper than he'd ever been. So Brenton used a camera to snap photos for evidence. And a length of blue climbing rope was tied around a white propane tank smeared with blood and kind of like muck. There was two dusty water jugs edged with property of the U.S. government. Um, those were lying near Aaron's head. So Benton took many pictures documenting and collecting evidence. He also retrieved zip ties, pieces of black plastic, about six to eight inches of black electrical tape. And after 45 minutes, he was exhausted. He was like, somebody else has got to like rotate me out. Because, I mean, that's a lot to be like dangling in this mine shaft, these yeah. fumes, the heat alone. <laughs> um, yeah. So the fire captain sent in Paul Anastasia. He discovered that the shaft actually had a false bottom. So there's no actually telling how deep this shaft was. So if mm. something happened and that bottom fell out, everything was gone. Wow. Like Aaron would be gone. Any of this evidence would be gone. So... He is examining her body and he did see a braided nylon cord wrapped around her neck that was tied to two pieces of rebar. So later, Paul would learn this is a homemade garrote, which is a weapon used to strangle someone. And Paul also found a stick with green cloth wrapped around the top and white twine. Um, so it looked like an unburned, like homemade torch. And it did become clear that someone had tried to incinerate the body and the contents of the mine. Um, so very gently, Paul placed Aaron into two body bags and carried her to the surface. Her body was flown by helicopter to the morgue where a coroner and forensic dentist conducted an autopsy. Side note, I'm really sorry if you guys can hear all the rain and thunder that is happening here right now. It is very loud. So just hopefully we don't scare you. Yes. <laughs> so by 930 p.m. on August 17th, it was confirmed that the body was Aaron Corwin. She was wearing the pink tank top and the jean shorts that she had left in that day. Her shoes, purse, cell phone, engagement ring, and car keys were not located and never would be. Also, how crazy that they found her the final day that they were going to be searching. Like, wow. Yeah, that was... Um, so the book actually kind of starts with finding her and just how it was just like a miracle. That's like, this is the yeah. last day we're going to search and we found her like yeah, something, wow. you know, if you're religious that's God, you know, the universe, mm -hmm. whatever was like, we're going to find this girl and bring yeah. her home. Wow. So police notified Aaron's parents, Bill and Laura Hevelin, just a few minutes before midnight on August 16th at their home in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. The investigators were also ready to arrest Chris, but they wanted to make sure that Chris did not learn about them discovering the body before they arrested him. So like, who knows what he's going to do if they know, if he knows that mm -hmm. we have this body. 
Um, so they made uh, they made Laura and Bill promise to only tell their children and no one else that she had been found. And there would be a press conference after Chris was arrested. So Aaron's body had been in the mine for eight weeks. So the autopsy was difficult to determine cause of death. Many of her bones were broken, but that could just be from the 140 foot drop into the mine. Um, but the medical examiner did notice a different type of injury to Aaron's skull. So he believes that Aaron had been hit with a heavy object either while alive or shortly after brain death. Um, dental records were required to identify her again. She was dropped 140 feet into a mine, you know, mm -hmm. um, the medical examiner listed her cause of death as homicidal violence with evidence of strangulation and possible blunt force trauma to the head. So the time and date of death were impossible to determine, but the condition of her body did fit with the time frame of when she went missing. Um, unfortunately, they were not able to fully determine anything about her pregnancy, like if she was still pregnant at the time of death. Um, and it would be impossible to obtain any DNA from the fetus because, again, just the state of decomp at this point. So there's no way to determine whose baby it was, basically. Mm -hmm. So Chris was officially arrested in Anchorage. And while investigating his car, they found two spools of paracord and blue climbing rope, similar to the blue rope that was found tied to the propane tank in the mine. They also confiscated knives that were stored in the vehicle and hidden under the passenger seat was a homemade garage constructed of braided paracord, two pieces of PVC piping and black electrical tape, just like the one found around Aaron's neck. So pretty damning evidence here. This would be a lot to be yeah. circumstantial. Um, Chris was later extradited from Alaska to California, and he did plead not guilty to the charge of first-degree murder against Aaron. Again, because of the state of decomposition, there was no way to determine if Aaron was still pregnant at the time of her death, because if she had been, they could have doubled the charges against Chris, but with no evidence, they couldn't do that. On April 3rd, 2015, there was a preliminary hearing in front of a judge to determine if there was enough evidence to go to trial. After almost five hours of testimony, the judge decided there was enough evidence to continue Chris's case. And on April 22nd, he was formally arraigned again, where he pled not guilty. Also in 2015, DNA results from Aaron's body and items found in the mine came back. Um, and there was DNA matching to Chris on the green cloth. Um, swabs from a Sprite bottle found to have DNA from both Aaron and Chris were also found. And the handwritten poem in Aaron's jewelry box also had fingerprints that belonged to Chris and was determined to have come from him. And the blue rope found in Chris's car matched the blue rope found in the mine. Um, so there was one piece of evidence that didn't fully match up. And that was that the tire marks that were found near Aaron's car did not match Chris's tires. So not anything that, you know, implicates his innocence, but that is something that didn't line up. Mm -hmm. In September of 2015, Chris's trial would be moved due to perceived bias from the judge. Um, so the case was moved to San Bernardino and jury selection began on September 21st, 2016. So the trial started on October 11th of that year. Much of the evidence and testimony and everything that we have already discussed was presented during the trial. Um, Lore, John, Jesse, Ashling, and Connor all testified. One of Chris's hunting buddies also testified, as well as the firefighters who found Aaron in the mine. So Nicole was on the potential witness list, but the prosecution did not want her to testify because she was a bit erratic. Um, but mm -hmm. the defense did want her to, which not sure why. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> why you would, but OK. 
So one day during the trial, a juror complimented Nicole's shoes and asked where she got them. So witnesses and potential witnesses are not permitted to talk to jurors because it can lead to a mistrial. Um, So Nicole was escorted away by a bailiff. And of course, she caused a loud scene. Not surprised. Um, And the judge did decide that the conversation was benign so that it wouldn't affect the trial, which makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. not really relevant, you know, your shoes. Um, So the testimonies did continue and various detectives testified as well as Chris's mom and Isabel, who again owned the horse rescue that they worked, that they went to often. And the book does go very deep into like what these testimonies say and all that, but it's a lot of kind of what we repeated earlier of like what Mm -hmm. they said, Um, but definitely go read the book because it was like very well done and it does go way more into like everything said, but we're already like over an hour into this story. <laughs> you know, we, we had to keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. So on October 27th, Chris actually took the stand himself. So he did talk about their affair. He said that Aaron was going to be going with them that day on June 28th and that it wasn't only going to be the two of them until his friends bailed. So he's like, we were all supposed to go and then they couldn't make it. So then it ended up just being the two of us, but that wasn't the plan. So he said that he tried to blow up a mine and Aaron wasn't happy with it. Um, they also talked about how Aaron wanted to come to Alaska with him and how she loved loved Liberty as well. So now, if you, if you thought it couldn't get any worse, here comes this asshole. It gets worse. It gets way yeah. worse. You thought the craziness was over? Mm-mm. So Chris claims at this point, not, not any time leading up to this, in the trial, mm-hmm. Chris claims that at this point he remembers how one night Nicole noticed that Liberty had a rash around her crotch and how Aaron had babysit that day. So they wondered if Aaron had molested her. But neither Chris nor Nicole ever contacted the doctor and they kept letting Aaron babysit after this. So after Aaron said that she loved Liberty in their conversation, Chris started accusing her of molesting Liberty. He claims that she said yes, that she did molest her. So then he went into a blind rage and he lunged at her with this garrote that he just happened to fucking have. Okay. Yeah. You know, I just always carry my garrote on me just in case. So he said that he realized then what he was doing and that he didn't think that she was breathing. So he freaked out about killing her and pushed her in the mine shaft. So he said while he was in jail waiting for trial that he just had to confess. Um, And it appeared that he like kept trying to cry, but like no tears were coming. So he's trying really hard to make this an emotional story, but it's it's not there. So after hearing this testimony, Chris's mom left the courtroom and never returned. Yeah. From what it seems like, she genuinely believed her son didn't do it. And then he said this and she was like, I'm gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And my thing too, with him being like, oh, like you said, you love Liberty. Why would you love Liberty? Who's not your daughter? Yeah. I love kids that are not mine. Exactly. I don't have kids. Like there's, you know, and like, obviously with Liberty and Nicole and Chris, like they would just drop her off and Aaron babysat her all the time. So she probably yeah. did have like an emotion and he's like, you're not going to hurt my daughter again. I'm like, what? Yeah. But if you genuinely thought like from a rash that she'd been molested mm-hmm. and you don't go to the doctor and you keep letting her babysit, clearly you did not think that. Because exactly. if I even had an inkling that like, if I had a kid, something had happened. It's like, no, you're never seeing my daughter from that point again. And like, yeah, the affair also continued after this. So you're sleeping with a woman who that you said you molested, molested yeah. your daughter. Like, obviously what? that's complete bullshit. Like no parent would ever let their no. child continue to be in the care of someone that they thought had molested them. And also you would like 
take your child to the doctor. You would like seek care for them. Like you would make sure like that they're okay. Like, no, no. Yeah. So at this point, Chris's testimony is really just trying to show how he killed Aaron in the heat of the moment. Um, so he's like trying to reduce the charges now. Cause he's like, I'm not getting yeah. out of this. So like, let's see if I can confess, but say like, oh, I had a good reason. So that way it's not going to all fall down on me. So Liberty could be a potential witness, um, but the prosecution decided not to call her to testify because they thought it would be too damaging to her, which makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. Um, At this point, Chris is cross-examined and they pointed out the fact, like we said, that he's accusing Aaron of molesting Liberty, but not only did he let her continue babysitting, but he also continued sleeping with her. So just no, you're a moron. The prosecution also brought in a dummy so Chris could show the court how exactly he had strangled Aaron. And so they made him do it for about as long as it would take to strangle someone to death. And they kept asking, like, did your blind rage go on this long? Like you're saying that you were in a blind rage, but it takes a good amount of time to strangle someone. Yeah, it takes a very long time to strangle someone. So it's like, oh, like you're saying you're in a blind rage and you didn't snap out of it at any point during this. Mm -hmm. Again, with your garrote that you happen to have on you at the time. Um, Like we already said, the book Secrets of of a Marine's Wife did go into great detail about the trial and all the testimony. So if you want like specific word for word, definitely read that book. I mean, read it anyway, because tons of information. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, we hit as much of it as we could. So on November 2nd, the prosecution and the defense rested and the jury was now sent back to deliberate. So the next day, a little after one o'clock, they said they'd reached a verdict. Um, And because of how late they had met on the second, the jury actually only deliberated for about an hour and a half. So did not take them long at all. Mm -mm. Um, And Christopher Brandon Lee was found guilty of first degree murder. Um, A juror did later speak out and say that, like, honestly, the case felt pretty open and shut. Um, Chris's testimony confirmed that he had killed her and they like didn't buy that it was an act of passion because, again, his whole story of why he would have been furious at her is clearly not true. It makes no sense. Um, And Aaron also would have been like turned around while he attacked her. So like, it wasn't like she would have been talking to him and he lunged at her. Exactly. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, So the evidence was overwhelming for the jury that he had killed Aaron. Um, Chris's sentencing hearing was on November 29th and Aaron's family and friends were all able to read their victim impact statements. Um, Chris made a statement still claiming that he was sorry, but he had no intention of killing Aaron. He's like, it was just all in a rage, just bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. He was given a sentence of life without parole and was sentenced to Richard J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego. Um, A small garden was set up where Aaron had been killed, and it is called Aaron's Garden. And underneath a bench there, they placed a book where people who visit can write messages addressed to Aaron and her family. Um, John has since remarried, but does still speak about Aaron and the heartbreak of losing her. And that is the horrific murder of Aaron Corwin. Yeah, that one is just so sad. So sad. And it's just like so unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, like, like, okay. So, uh, I mean, murder isn't supposed to make sense, you know, but you were literally about to get out and move back to Alaska with your family. Like Mm -hmm. you could have just never seen her or had it like, I get she was pregnant and like, you thought it was, but it's like, you, you didn't have to do what? Like. You didn't have to do that. I mean, honestly, I feel like if he left and had ghosted her, especially 2014, there's like even there was still quite a bit of social media, but I don't Mm -hmm. think as much as there is today, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously they were having money issues. It's not really like she had the money to just follow you. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, and she could have easily, John was excited about the pregnancy, even yeah. though from the book, it kind of sounded like people were like, John should have known it wasn't his, you yeah. know, but he was still excited. It's his wife, you know, maybe, you know, whatever. So Chris could have just been like, okay, like, you know, like kept her going left, never talked to her again, whatever. Like you had such an easy out yeah. You're going back to Alaska. Like that's yeah. far away. I mean, like, and she probably, I mean, like you said, she would have just raised the baby with John and probably would have like just went on about her life. And, you know, yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon to have a baby. That's not the father. Actually, this came up in a conversation the other day. Um, Andrew heard it on like some show of like what percentage of people like that their father isn't who they think their father is. And he asked like what mm-hmm. I thought the percentage would be. And I was like, I don't know, like 10%. And he was like, you think it's that high? He's like, it's like five. And I thought that was high. And I was like, oh, well maybe I just know a lot of, um, um yeah. Interesting. I guess families. as far as like not knowing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the fact that it's a secret. Yeah. Yeah. So like, maybe it's like, oh, well, we kind of know, you know what I mean? But I do still think that would be higher, but, <laughs> but that's also like, how do you find the data on that? Because yeah, if you don't know, yeah. You know, that's like true. if you don't, true. if your whole family and like the mom is just like, yeah, we ain't telling nobody. And if the yeah. dad knows or whatever, and he's like, we ain't telling nobody. So how would or you, maybe you it's know? like you eventually found out. It's like, you didn't know, yeah. like as a child, I mean, like, look at like everything with, with DNA like, now. DNA. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, I tried to find like long lost cousins. And it's like, oh, my dad's not my dad. Whoops. <laughs> like, I actually just saw a TikTok about that. Like yesterday where it was oh, like, wow. I did a DNA test and we both found out that he's not my dad. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. But um yeah, I mean I feel like it's just common, but like there's just, you know, mm-hmm. there were so many other ways to just handle this situation. And like Erin yeah. was 19. Of course, she's like she's like puppy love with you mm-hmm. because you're the out to like her situation that she's not happy with. And it's yeah. like you could have just, I don't know. Um Murder is never the answer. Um, no. Basically, if you learn anything from this podcast, don't <laughs> cheat on your spouse. That's not a great, not great. Yeah. Um, and also don't and if you do, <laughs> And if you do and you get your affair partner pregnant, don't kill her. <laughs> Maybe also use do not protection. Do that. Yeah. If you're cheating on your, anyway, you know, moral of the story, yeah. don't murder people. Yeah. Okay. Courtney. <laughs> I really hope that thunder picked up because that'd be a nice little transition. Mm. Um, What is your perk of the week? Okay. I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet. So my perk of the week is that my neighborhood had their pride event yesterday. um, And they had, they had it last year, but this year it was just so much bigger, so much more Mm -hmm. going on. They had a bunch of vendors and there was just people everywhere out and just happy. And all the, these amazing costumes and, you know, the Knoxville's gay men's chorus performed and it was just like, it was just so nice. And, uh, yesterday was personally a hard day. I'm not going to go into it. And it was Mm -hmm. nice to just be like distraction, 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 and just be out, you know, if I'm going to be sad, I'm gonna do it with pizzazz. That's all (laughs) I keep singing in the talk and the TikTok sound in my head, (laughs) but it was just incredible. And it was so nice. Like seeing so many people come together. Like I was actually talking with my friends and he was like, do you ever like come to these? And you're like, how are there so many young people in Knoxville? Like, I don't know any of these people. Yeah. Right. (laughs) All the time. Like who are these people? Um, and I, I personally didn't see like any protesters. Thank Mm -hmm. God. Um, you know, it was, it was just so nice. It was such a nice day. I got to like talk to like a bunch of different vendors and people and actually meet neighbors from vendors. Like it was very, very cool. So, um, but yeah, that is my perk of the week and happy pride everybody. If no Mm -hmm. one's told you, 
happy pride um yes. Jacqueline what's your part of the week besides the thunder in, in the background yeah, yeah, this uh, storm and some much needed rain. Um, so my perk of the week is Stranger Things. Um, so we have been binging season four this week. Um, each episode is very long. If you guys have not watched so it, so long, so like, like I have a Taking child us over forever. Here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like Andrew and I watch like usually you know a 30 minute show while we're eating dinner and so are like 23 minutes of television a night and then so i got like no podcast research done last week because Andrew and i just watched stranger things every night for the entire evening until we went to bed so because you know we can't watch until after our daughter goes to bed but yeah so that is my perk of the week that we finally got through um season four and it's super good and at the time of this recording and also the time of the release the finale has not come out yet so hopefully the finale will be wonderful and um yeah but that's my perk of the week. So is this it? Because I heard rumors are splitting it into two seasons. Um, so is there like another season later coming out? I'm a little confused about the whole timeline. All I know is that there's one more episode of this season. I don't know if this is like okay. the final season. Like I know that like there's one more episode in season four that's going to come out like July, some sometime in July. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if this is like the end of the show or if they just like split up the finale i don't know i wasn't sure either um we're only like two episodes in and Mm -hmm. like i was like telling kevin i was like everything is like good about it it's just made me so fucking sad so far like it's just fucking depressing so far of like i don't know i can't i'm way too empathetic i can't watch like (laughs) bullying i can't watch like shit like that so yeah it's just been i'm like but we're only like now getting to the point of like what's about to happen this season i guess so it was a really well, good I'm going to keep watching it. Um, it just makes me sad because yeah. I'm a sensitive person. Anyway, <laughs> if you want to tell us your thoughts on Stranger Things, if you want to tell us about the Pride events you attended, if you want to give hate about Pride, just go ahead and go fuck yourself. Um, but <laughs> just turn off this you podcast to- and never come back, please. Thank you. Never come back. Never come back. Um, but yeah, tell us about your Pride events, your Stranger Things, what shows you're watching that we mm-hmm. should watch. If you understand how the the last season or seasons of Stranger <laughs> Things is happening. Please explain it to me. Yes. <laughs> explain this to me like I'm five. But <laughs> you can do that on Instagram at Caffeinated Crimes Pod, on Facebook at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast, on Twitter at Caff Crimes Pod. That's C A F F Crimes Pod. Um, you can email us at Caffeinated Crimes Pod at gmail.com. We are on TikTok and YouTube at Caffeinated Crimes with podcasts sometimes without i don't know um and if you want to get a shout out like Catherine did and have all that funness you can go to patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes and you will also have probably noticed that we do have some ads in our episodes now which is super mm. exciting for us um hopefully we'll generate a little bit of money to go back into the pod and you know give you bigger and better things um but if you guys don't want to listen to those ads we are now doing ad free episodes over on Patreon for all tiers so as little as $3 a month you get those ad free episodes um so if that's something that you're interested in that's just an additional new perk that we have over there um, since we've never had ads before. And now we do. So if you don't want to listen to them, you can find them there. Um, we also always greatly appreciate Apple podcast reviews, Spotify ratings, all of those good things. Um, just, you know, help us uh, bump up in the charts and get noticed more. Yeah. We're trying to do all we can. We're trying to redo the Patreon mm-hmm. the best we can make all these new perks. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, go have a cup of coffee and don't commit a crime. <laughs>